0: Is Alex Gray uh, and I'm really glad you guys are here like I was looking around earlier and it is just I love Tuesdays like I cannot not love Tuesdays we have a room full of college students that are here together worshiping Jesus and that is like that's amazing that's that's kind of rare that's beautiful and honestly it just gives me a ton of joy because it's like what this is all about for us if if you are new to Veritas, you got to know, like, just so you know, we don't do this on Tuesdays so that we can, like, have you really dig our band or so that we can hear ourselves talk. It's because we want to come together every week to, to celebrate and worship Jesus. So I'm really glad that you, each and every one of you guys are here, whether you are kind of new. All right, we're going to get the TV going, but I'm going to keep going. I, I think that it's really amazing that each and every one of you are here. And so I'm super thankful, very thankful that you're here. I also want to give a shout out to some of our Jamaican friends who are here. If you guys know them, it's very fun that they're here. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the big claps. Okay. We partner with an organization down in Jamaica and some of their staff are here. So say hey to them. If you know them, if you don't get to know them after they're great, Uh, but we're very, I'm very thankful that they are here too tonight. Okay to start us off tonight, here's what I want us to do. I want you guys to imagine something with me. Okay, so imagine this. It is present day. You're in Columbia, and you're sitting in class, and and you look down, and on your phone, there's an Apple News alert with a, a title that reads, Resident Missouri Man Could Be God. What's up? resident Missouri man could be gotten so you're intrigued, right? You you click on it and it's an article about a guy in Columbia, a dude in Columbia who's been doing some wild stuff turns out he has been like at speaker's circle and and he's standing there and he's saying I am the king of a kingdom that's about to take over the world and he's downtown and he's finding people with disabilities, sickness, disease and, and all he's doing is touching them and they say it goes away He's been asking people to do things like quit their job, leave their family behind, just abandon their home, and follow him around. Wherever he goes, they're going to go too. People, they've started calling him God. Like they're, they're calling him God himself. So imagine you're reading this, okay, and how are you going to respond? Like, like how would you respond to that if that was actually happening today? Would you believe it? Like, would you think that this guy is who he says he is? Or would you kind of think he's crazy, maybe a little dangerous even? Or I don't know, maybe you're just going to go check him out. You just want to see what he has to say, see if what he's doing and saying is actually real. How would you respond if that was happening? Last week, Kyle, he kicked off our Tuesday night series in the book of Mark. And that's the second gospel in the New Testament of the Bible. And in about halfway through this first chapter that we went through, Jesus, he steps onto the scene and he says that God's kingdom is coming to earth and that he is the king that people should turn to. It's kind of, it's kind of a bold start for Jesus, right? He's coming out of the gate kind of hot. So what does he follow up with? What does he do next? Well, the rest of chapter one, he, he doesn't take it down a notch. He only ranches up, ratchets up the intensity. He just ramps it on up. He, does start, he's a, he starts doing all these things like, like preaching anywhere he goes, teaching people. He's healing tons of people. He's casting out demons. He is calling people to leave behind their life and follow him. And people are calling him God. They're calling him the son of God, God himself. And everybody is starting to notice. Okay, look at the end, the very end of the very first chapter of Mark. And this is what it says. It says that once, his, Jesus, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. That's his hometown. And, And just like that, news is spreading about who he is. He's making a splash. He is causing a stir. And so as we move forward, the question that Mark is going to try to get us at in chapter 2 and 3 is how are people going to respond to Jesus? When they see all of this happening, how are they going to respond? So we're just going to dive in. We're going to pick up at the, cha- at the top of chapter 3, verse 1. And here's what it says. Again, he entered the synagogue. So that's Jesus. And the synagogue is a place of worship for Jewish people in the first century where this is set, okay? And a man was there with a withered hand. And they, they is the Pharisees. It's a religious group that we're gonna come back to in just a second, so put a pin in that. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. This is the last time I'm gonna interrupt, sorry. I just wanna make sure we're knowing what these terms mean. The Sabbath, right there, that's that's a day of rest that God has established with his people, the Jewish people, in the 10 Commandments, okay? So they are watching Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the, with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand and his hand was restored the Pharisees, they went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians, another religious group. They held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Other translations right there, they say how they might kill Jesus. So what's what's up with the Pharisees? Why are they responding this way? Why are they so angry at Jesus for healing a man that was, he was clearly suffering? Well, if we're going to understand what is happening in this scenario in this, in this situation, in this passage, we're going to have to understand the Pharisees a little bit. So stick with me. We're going to go on a quick little journey, okay? Ready? All right. Pharisees, they believed that the way to follow God was to follow the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, perfectly, because that's where God's commands were for his people. And so they believed that if they followed that perfectly, they were following God, they knew their Torah. They knew it so, so well. So they were the teachers, the main teachers, for all the Jewish people. They were really good teachers. But some of you guys, some of you in here are teachers too, right? You're education majors, so you will be teachers at least. And you know how teaching works. You know you know that if you're trying to, like, I don't know, teach an elementary school kid how to read, you can't just hand him a book and then expect him to show up the next week reading it to you. It's not really how it works, right? If you, if you want them to learn how to read, you have to read it with them. You have to start giving them examples of how words sound. You have to do it with them in real life. That's good teaching. And the Pharisees, they were, they were really good teachers, so that's what they did. They gave—they took God's rules, and then they gave real-life examples, applications which sounds super helpful. Like, I would love that if you could tell me, okay, this is XYZ thing in the Bible, and then here's seven examples of how it plays out. Awesome. Let's do that. The issue the issue was, though, that over time, those real-life examples that the Pharisees gave, they weren't just helpful examples. They weren't life application. They became extra rules that the Pharisees then expected everybody to follow. They expected everyone to follow those rules. Example being Sabbath, what we just saw. Sabbath, which is the day of rest each week that God commands his people to stop working, to rest and focus on him. Th- that is a command that God gives. But, but work in the Bible isn't totally defined, all that clearly at least. So the Pharisees were like, we got it, we'll define it, we're good, let us have it. They start defining things as work, like like cooking, or cleaning, farming, weaving, carrying stuff, putting out a flame, and catch this, healing people. If you're tracking then, what's happening in this passage is Jesus, he sees a man who, on Sabbath, desperately needs healing, but he also sees the Pharisees watching him, and he knows what they're up to. So he calls over the man and he calls over the Pharisees and says, hey, 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 is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? And the Pharisees can't answer. They, they, are, they know that they're caught in their own trap because obviously they can't say to do harm. We all know that's the wrong answer. But if they say to do good, they they're admitting to Jesus that he should heal that man and then break the rules that they've created. The Pharisees, they thought that following God was about following rules, but Jesus says, no, uh uh-uh, you are missing the point. You are completely missing the entire big picture. It would be like, okay, it would be like if you guys went to climb Mount Everest. I don't recommend it. I've not done it, but it sounds awful. Anyway, if, if you were to climb Mount Everest and you were to do all the right things. You you got all the right gear, you did all the right training, you had all the right protocols, you you knew all the emergency situations, but then you get to the top and you don't even look at the view around you. You just skip it. You'd be missing the whole point. The Pharisees, they, they did everything right, but they just missed the point. They completely missed the big picture. The Pharisees, they were, they were genuinely trying to follow God. They were. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that they were trying to do it in their own efforts. They were trying to prove to God that they could be good enough for Him. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I, I think that's what Christianity Christianity is, right? That, that's what Christianity really is. And so maybe it's it this kind of. This kind of mentality is what's kept you away from a church or away from a night like this for a long time because you don't want to really be around a bunch of people that are just constantly trying to prove how good they are. That's, that's miserable. I agree. But that's not actually what Christianity is. It's not what Veritas is. That's not what this place is. This isn't a place that you have to prove yourself to Jesus or, or to anybody. You don't have to prove yourself, but some of us in this room, we've been trying to prove ourselves to God for a long time, and we're exhausted. I don't know. Do you feel that? Like, Do you feel that you have been doing as much as you can for Jesus, and it's just not enough? You feel like you've been praying and praying, but he just won't take that anxiety away. He won't take away your depression you you broke up with that girl or that guy because you knew it wasn't a healthy relationship but still still deep down you feel a lot of shame about what you did with them or maybe maybe you try to read your bible but every day that you miss it you wonder if jesus is just a little bit more disappointed in you you feel those things cuz if you do i get it i i have been there i growing up i was kind of a good kid. Like I tried to get good grades, I hated getting in trouble. Like I was, I was the girl that cried the first time she got detention. So I'm that kind of nerd, you, you hated me in school. But for the most part, I was, I was kind of a good kid and that meant that I kinda got a lot of praise from people in my life. Which you would think, you would think what that would do is make me confident that I was okay, that I was good enough. But what I internalized was if I follow people's rules, then they'll love me. If I follow people's rules, then they'll love me. Then though, I became a Christian in college and I thought, sweet, I don't have to follow people's rules, Jesus loves me, amazing. But, but somehow I still kinda got it twisted in my head because my new thought was, okay, if I follow Jesus's rules, then he'll love me. Nice, got it. Fast forward, I would say seven years, And I was sitting in a counselor's office, just feeling at the time so defeated, honestly really unlovable, really unworthy, because I could not kick this particular sin pattern in my life. And I remember sitting there, and I will never forget what the counselor asked me. He he asked me, Alex, would Jesus still love you if you never got over this sin? Like, if it was always an issue in your life, if you never got better at fighting this sin, you think Jesus would still love you? And I was silent. I felt like those Pharisees just trapped in my own web because, of course, right? I knew the answer. Yes, Jesus loves me unconditionally. So, of course, he would. But deep down, like, deep down, I genuinely believed in my heart of hearts That if I didn't get better at following Jesus' rules, eventually he would stop loving me. Eventually he he would stop loving me. I think, I think it is possible that we can confuse following Jesus with following his rules. But that's not Christianity. You and I don't have to prove yourself to Jesus, you can't, actually. You and I, we will never be good enough to earn Jesus' love. I, I don't say that to, like, cut you down, to discourage you. I'm actually trying to free you and me, free us from something that none of us can attain. We cannot do it. Here's why. Ephesians 2, it's one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible, it says this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. So the ways that we live for lesser gods, the the ways that we turn away from God. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Without Jesus... We are, we are dead in that sin, completely toast. Like there's no getting out of it. There's no earning our way into God's love. But praise be to God, we don't have to. We don't have to earn Jesus' love because he has already loved us and, and paid the price. He has made us, pulled us out of death and made us alive with him. Following Jesus, it is not about following rules It's about a relationship with the king. Following Jesus, it's not about following rules. It's about a relationship with the king. Here's what I mean. Flip back into Mark 2 and pick up with me in verse 13. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi. That's Matthew. That's the author of the Gospel of Matthew. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Maybe you know this, but the Jewish people in this time, they were under the rule of the Roman Empire. Tax collectors, they were the people who made sure that the Roman Empire got their money. But sometimes these tax collectors, they were, they were Jewish people, Jewish men, and they were thought of as just complete sellouts, like really scummy characters who were willing to steal money from their own people. Tax collectors and sinners, they were outcasts in society because of things like their job, their lifestyle, their morals, their past, and, and they were avoided completely. So you can imagine the confusion when Jesus walks by and he says, Levi, that guy, come follow me. I mean, everybody else has to be like, that guy? Hey, Jesus, you know he's a sinner, right? Okay, he's not going to be great at following you. He's not going to be good enough for you. You've seen his sin, right? But Jesus, he has seen his sin. He's seen his past. He knows Levi, and yet he still calls him into relationship with him. He calls him to follow him. And Levi, he responds. Unlike the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they couldn't respond. They were silent. They were stuck in their own efforts to be good enough for God. But Levi, he wants a relationship with the king, and so he gets up and he follows Jesus. That passage, I love it. It it teaches us that we don't have to, you and I, we do not have to hide our sin. You don't have to hide your sin. Like, you can you can own up to things like your selfishness and your pride, your anger, your addictions, whatever it is. Jesus knows it. He loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. End of story. You, you do not have to prove yourself to be good enough for God. He's the reason that you are free from sin. He, he's actually the reason you are Good enough. Not because of your own efforts, right? But because of his righteousness, because he is inviting you and me into a relationship with him. Last week, Kyle said something that has just kind of stuck with me all week. He he said this. He said, being a Christian is someone who's actively following Jesus with their whole life. Being a Christian is somebody who's actively following Jesus with their whole life. Life. So following Jesus, being in a relationship with Jesus, that's an active thing. So whether you're here tonight and, and you're just still trying to figure out whether you actually do want to follow Jesus or not, or if you have been walking with him for years, regardless, think about what a relationship needs, what an active relationship is going to need. First, it's going to need time. First, relationships need time right? Jenny Allen, she's, she's an author, and recently in one of her books that I really love, it's called Finding Your People, she says this, researchers say that to grow an acquaintance to a good friend takes clocking 200 hours together. Sounds like a lot, but I did the math. I, I hope I didn't do it wrong. Honestly, I, you can double check my math, but if you take that 200 hours in a year and you divide it out, that's like a little over 30 minutes a day. So what would it look like just spending time with Jesus in your Bible, maybe journaling, maybe listening to Christian music, whatever it is, spending time with him a little bit each day, that's going to grow your relationship with Jesus in a really active way. Okay, second, relationships, they they take communication. Makes sense, right? it It makes sense that we would, need to communicate in order to help a a relationship flourish, but here's the wild thing. We actually have direct access to Jesus, the creator of the entire universe. We have direct access to him through prayer. So you, you can talk to Jesus whenever, wherever, about whatever. Doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't have to be deep or formal or really long or in a particular place. Just find pockets of time throughout your day, more and more. Find pockets of time throughout your day to just talk to Jesus about what you're going through, what you're needing, what you're thankful for, all of it. Okay, third, relationships, they require trust. And this one's kind of tough, honestly, because people, our relationships, we are people who Lie and cheat and gossip and break our promises, and so trust can be hard, but the thing is Jesus he is he's different he he is never gonna lie to us he will never ever break the promises that he has made and he's always going to be with us he will never abandon us he will not be going anyway anywhere his presence is with us so that thing that's like on your mind, the thing that You cannot let go of that's just eating you away with worry right now you can give that to jesus you can trust him with that in relationship with him because he loves you he wants what's good for you and he's in control and and he is always going to be with you always going to be with you in it finally Relationships with, a relationship with Jesus, not every relationship, but a relationship with Jesus requires our allegiance, our obedience. And I know that's a hefty word. I wish we had like lots of time to unpack that word tonight, but we don't. So stick around. We'll probably talk about it in different ways this semester. But if Jesus is king, if he is our king, then fighting sin obeying him, following his rules, it actually, it does matter. Not not because we're trying to prove that we are good enough for him, not based off of our own efforts, but because he has already made us righteous. He has already loved us with a love that pulls us out of death into life, and so we can and should obey out of adoration for our king. See, these things actively pursuing these things these are going to be the things that help us grow a relationship help us to follow Jesus more and more. Okay, I want to I want to end tonight with a story that I kind of think illustrates this in in a lot of beautiful ways. There was a girl a couple years ago in Veritas uh, who was she was in a small group. She was around on Tuesday nights. She was consistently at church on Sundays, but she was also at parties most nights. And and she would tell you she was drinking way, way, way too much. not a Not a fun, healthy amount. And she was also into some pretty hard drugs at the time. Okay, so that's her life. And sometimes she would kind of snap out of it and she would just want to make a change. And so she would feel super guilty, make a ton of changes, but then slowly, every single time, she would kind of fall back into bad habits, things would get worse and worse, and suddenly she'd be right back where she was started, and she would feel so defeated. Until junior year, everything kind of came crashing down all at once. She was caught with those drugs in her dorm room, and, and she was kicked out of her sorority for it. And late one night... She's sitting at small group, and she just decides to go for it. Okay, I'm just going to lay it all on the table for my leader. And so she tells her small group leader all the mess, all the sin, all the guilt that she's been feeling, puts it all out there. And that small group leader, she just listens. She sits there with her. She empathizes. And then she reminds her that Jesus knows all that. Like, there's nothing to hide. Jesus knows all of her story and he loves her and wants a relationship with her. And that, that really did it for this girl. That kind of changed everything. And it wasn't immediate. But over time, slowly, within that year, she started to kind of change her habits for real this time. She pushed aside sin. It it didn't feel as satisfying anymore. She started being honest about her past and her sin to pretty much everybody who would listen. She was super open with her story. And day by day, she started following Jesus more and more closely. It was such, I mean, watching this student, it was such a beautiful picture of the way that a relationship with Jesus actually changes who we are. Are, transforms us over time. See, Jesus, He knows all of you. Like He sees all of you, and He wants a relationship with you. He does. He He is unconcerned. Well, He I mean, He He wants this relationship with you. He doesn't care about the sin that has been a part of your past. He He is. <laughs> Aware of all the brokenness and the, and the mess and the guilt, and he, he still wants you with him. You do not have to prove that you are good enough for God. He is someone who sat with sinners, ate with sinners, did life with sinners. It said it right there in verse 17 I came not to call the righteous, the hard hearted, but sinners. Jesus came to earth for people like you and me. He came to earth for you and me. He came, he lived, he died, he rose, all so that people like you and me could live in right, wonderful relationship with our true king. So let's respond. Let's respond with great joy. And and praise to him for that good news. Amen.